Jerry O'Hanlon, you are an Irish Jesuit theologian. You've been speaking to various media about the Eighth Amendment and the result on Saturday. It was an overwhelming yes. What's your reaction to what has happened in Ireland? Well, first of all, I think like everybody, I found it quite stunning. Um, I hadn't anticipated the size of the majority on the yes side. And what struck me was that almost every demographic, except my own, the over 65s, were in favour. Also across social class, so our own constituency out in Cherry Orchard, 74, 75% in favour. So working class, middle class, rural, urban, farmers, Donegal being the only county that voted against, and that only narrowly. So it was quite um, stunning, the um, result. And I think it'll take time to, uh, for us to absorb it uh, in Irish society, what exactly is being said. Um, and as I say, that will take time, but we have to begin that already. I mean, 30 years ago, we had this amendment put into the Constitution, which gave equal right to the life of the unborn and the mother. It's a massive change in 30 years. We've had the divorce referendum and now divorce is legal. We've had the gay marriage and now we can have gay marriage. Nonetheless, abortion seemed the biggest hurdle because we, those who voted knew that if they voted yes and that amendment was removed, that it would pave the way the legislation was published for abortion up to 12 weeks and then up to six months on the grounds of mental health of the mother. A Rubicon in ways, how do you interpret it? Yeah, I think so. Um, What I noticed was that among Catholics who took their faith very seriously, they were actually very conflicted about this. So they didn't see it as a black and white issue. So they were very conscious, for example, the ones I spoke to and listened to, about the so-called hard cases, uh, rape, uh, incest, fatal fetal abnormality. Well aware, too, that that, usually in other countries, only accounts for a small percentage of abortions. And yet, I suppose, there was this distinction which the bishops themselves make between morality and law. And law is subject to what is practical and the politics of the day. And it's the fact, of course, that Irish women are having abortions, that the abortion pill is available. And I suppose that weighed heavily on a lot of people in terms of uh, conscience that in the end, that legislative framework, hopefully, but who knows, and this is the kind of prudential judgment people have to make, will lead to fewer abortions. What's happened in other countries seemingly is that it goes up in the immediate aftermath of legalisation. Afterwards, it steadies and sometimes it decreases. So this mantra of legal, safe and rare, I think the pro-life side and all of us who are serious about the morality of abortion should be working to provide the kind of society where those difficult decisions which women have to make on so-called socio-economic grounds are facilitated in a way of choosing life so that social welfare, a kind of culture which is very accepting of uh, a woman's uh, desire to give birth even in terms of a career 
it's something that weighs heavily on a woman and we, we can dismiss it in terms of socioeconomic but this is these are difficult choices which which women have to make so maybe we we need to be moving on to that I mean, I would uh, say in terms of the constitutional referendum, uh, as Tom Rees has said, the Jesuit in the the States, it's unlikely that that's going to be reversed and we could expend a lot of energy doing that. Uh, Far better to try and provide a situation in Irish society where Irish women feel cared for and where they are less likely to feel forced into the option of abortion. Yeah, because there does seem to be a lack of services. There are just a lack of services for women who have, um, for children, and even in middle-class terms, the price of childcare for Mm. those who want to go back to work is Mm -hmm. prohibitive in many Mm -hmm. cases. Mm -hmm. So there are issues around that. And then issues of safe places where women can talk through, with Mm -hmm. a bit of space and time, Mm -hmm. the issue of a crisis pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I do think that notion of other societal issues which impinge on this is very much what Pope Francis will be talking about when he talks about a consistent life ethic. Abortion is one part of a spectrum to be pro-life, and Archbishop Dermot Martin brought that out very well in his reflection uh, down in Maynooth uh, the day after the referendum result. And I do think your point about safe spaces ought to apply as well to the church. I think we've been poor enough at supplying safe spaces. There's almost some taboo topics still within the church. And I liked the fact that some churches, including uh, Garden Street and um, Galway, had this process, which they called a discernment process, where in a more reflective way, with input from experts in medicine, in legal matters, in philosophy, people were enabled to reflect without feeling got at, without feeling lobbied. And I think we really need to expand that within the church because people are signalling to the hierarchy and to the rest of us what perhaps we've known for a while, but this is dramatic instances of it. They are adults, they are intelligent, they are quite capable of listening to what the bishops have to say, distinguishing between morality and legislation and deciding with their own conscience. And that shift has happened over the last 20, 25 years, and yet we've been slow as church to recognise it. Yes, because one got a sense of that even with the intervention by Bishop Doran yesterday, when like one of the things he spoke about was the possibility that people who voted yes, knowing that abortion would follow, may need to go to confession. It was nuanced enough in its language, but yet it struck a note that really did not resonate or seemed to show that the sense of what I think bishops might need to be looking at and the institution needs to look at Mm. where Catholics are today Mm. and how they see themselves vis-a-vis the institution. It's not Mm. not a healthy space. No, and I've always been struck by a phrase, again, that Archbishop Dermot Martin used many years ago. He talked about the risk that... Catholicism and the Catholic Church would become an irrelevant cultural minority. So the irrelevant bit was instant very well on the day of the referendum when it was reported that the Vatican announced plenary indulgences for attendance at the World Meeting of Families and partial indulgences if you listen to it on the radio or watch it on TV. Now, there's some kind of internal theological logic which you could explain, but that is an own goal. 
because that is completely disconnected from the real life of faith of Catholics. So it shows just an irrelevance. It's a kind of Father Ted moment. And then the reported intervention of Bishop Doran that you mentioned, it doesn't respect the conscience of people and it just adds to the notion of the church as anti-woman. It fires up a lot of anger in reaction and it gives the notion of a church that is not attractive. The church can be challenging, as Pope Francis has shown, and still be attractive. But that disrespect, if you like, for adult Catholics' conscience is really the wrong note to to strike. And the third thing then that, that I think says it all, I was listening to an account of somebody out the west of Ireland talking about what priests must feel when they stand up on last Sunday and realise that a good part of their own congregation voted yes. And the implication was that there was a huge gulf between the priest and the people. I think at a personal level, probably that isn't so. Priests can be very close to their people and so on. But at a cultural, structural level, it is true. We haven't managed to have a church where there's space for people, women, young people, men, priests, bishops, to talk together about issues so that these surprises don't happen. I mean, anybody who was listening in the course of the debate would have realised that many adult Catholics were really torn about this. They didn't see it in black and white terms. They saw it very much in grey terms. And if we had the kind of church which the Pope is looking for, he calls it a synodal church where the voice of the laity, the sense of the faithful, is really being attended to, then we wouldn't be in such shock. And I think as well... That applies not just to internal church organisation, it applies to the way the church dialogues with society as well. That we need to find a way that's not just prophetic, challenging the culture, but recognising the good things in the culture and learning how to dialogue and learn from. And to be fair, I think a number of the bishops have started to do that. But we need a lot of learning because we're coming from a space where people perceive us as authoritarian and they now perceive us as irrelevant. Um, so I think there's a real opportunity to do something about that, but not if we put our head in the sand like an ostrich and don't see what's happening. Yes, I think because there were signs even along the way that the church did not have that moral authority that it normally has. I mean, even the, the pro-life lobby did not enlist the Catholic mm. Church as a bulwark, as you would have seen in the 1980s when mm-hmm. the amendment was going in, mm-hmm. to support them. I've heard people say that because there is no way to feedback as you're talking mm. about, and because there still doesn't seem to have been at an institutional level a real understanding of the pain of, say, child sexual abuse. But going back further, women whose bodies were really in the control of the clergy. Mm -hmm. They were told that they couldn't have contraception. Mm -hmm. They were told that they had to have sex with their their husbands. Mm -hmm. That was their duty. Mm. And there's never been a recognition of that. We still have the humanity has not been rescinded. Mm. And that because there's no way of feeding that back and Mm. executing change, that there were Catholics who see this. Well, here's one way of telling you something. Mm. You are irrelevant. Mm. We will not listen and Mm. we will not do what you want. Mm. Yeah, and I think it is, on the positive side, an opportunity for the church to really listen and to change. 
because you're quite right. I think the moral authority of the church is in tatters, mainly because of the child sexual abuse, but also those the accumulation of all those other issues that you mention. And I know women who are very strong Catholics and who are very angry with the church. And in in different instances, mainly the ones you've mentioned, but also was articulated by Mary McAleese in yes, that Empire of Misogyny uh, speech and, and the ordination of women, for example. And to be fair, the Pope has talked again and again about giving women authority in the church, a more incisive role for women in the church. And I think that's all very important. But deeper, I think, when he says time is, is greater than space, he's looking for processes to be put in place where this kind of voice can be fed in and affect the culture of the institution and also the teaching of the institution. The Catholic Church can't just wake up tomorrow morning and ordain women. That would be untrue to its own understanding of how it comes to truth and it should cause widespread schism. But what it can do is it can put in place structures and institutions like parish councils, like uh, diocesan synods, like national synods, like uh, regional synods, like um, ecumenical councils, where gradually this feeling experience, lived out experience of women and men and young people is fed in and changes the church. And the Irish bishops, it seems to me, have to face that. The Bishop of Limerick is the only one who's taken it seriously. I've talked to other bishops about it and they say, oh, yes, we know the Pope is asking us to do that, but maybe the infrastructure isn't there yet. But that was being said back in the 1990s. Um, I was part of a group with Kieran Kennedy, who was the then head of the ESRI, and we were suggesting that kind of approach and we were told that the infrastructure wasn't there. One way to get the infrastructure there is to announce what you're going to do, and then you'll find it'll galvanise people. We really need a synod of the Irish Church where men and women, young and old, sit down together. This is a crisis, but it's also an opportunity, and it's a time for radical renewal and reform. And it won't happen with the bishops on their own, and they probably know that in their heart of hearts, but they really need to step forward and understand and say that business as usual is not going to work. Because there are people on the no side who also feel and have articulated a sense of letdown Mm. on behalf of the Catholic Church. It's a no-win situation because they Mm. feel, well, you weren't there for us, you didn't support us, we had to do it on our Mm. own. And now they feel that we're left facing into a situation where we could end up like Denmark or Iceland, where Down syndrome is almost eradicated, Mm -hmm. where in England there is now abortion on terms of sex selection, Mm -hmm. especially among some of the Asian communities, Mm -hmm. and that that has been allowed for Mm -hmm. on the grounds of mental health, Mm -hmm. and that there may be a lot more abortions here. It may or may not happen, but there there are real concerns that that could be the case, Mm -hmm. and that is there going to be a strong voice to speak out Mm -hmm. The church really has to see this as a crisis because on both sides Mm -hmm. they are facing Mm -hmm. an alienated people. Absolutely, and I think one of the ways is it has to have a deeper analysis, discernment, if you like, of contemporary culture because it's clear that contemporary culture isn't metaphysical in that sense. It's more to do with narrative, to do with personal experience, to do with story. And it's very clear from the exit polls that people weren't so much into that whole thing of rights and that kind of stuff. It was people's stories were the important thing. And the church has to learn somehow to discern what's healthy in that culture 
And part of that culture is a very individualistic, pro-choice kind of agenda. But there's goodness to that as well. And the church has to be able to dialogue with that. And Michael Conway down in Maynooth is very good at, at looking at that kind of culture and saying there are things we can learn from that. But unless the surrounding culture feels that there's a sympathetic listening as well as a critique then the conversation won't begin. You, you, you don't initiate a conversation or continue a conversation by all the time critiquing. The Second Vatican Council understood that. The Church in the Modern World talked about learning from the world as well as teaching the world. There has to be that uh, reciprocal kind of engagement. And I do think that coming from a very low base at the moment of loss of credibility, we have to be very humble in our attempt to reach out to the surrounding countries culture and yet confident as pope francis is that this is good news this is attractive jesus christ came to give life i'm often struck by the fact i know that this has been a particularly difficult struggle but it often feels that the no side has all the negative kind of things and the the yes side goes with care compassion change and so on i know that can be simplistic in terms of slogans But the Pope, for one, is somebody who's able to get across the fact that this is good news. It's joyful what Jesus Christ has to answer and at the same time to issue a challenge, whether it's to the economic system or to issues around uh, reproduction. But it's certainly very clear that as church, in those areas of which are very intimate to people to do with sexuality and gender, we have a complete disconnect with the contemporary culture and we've a lot of rebuilding to do there and a lot of deep listening as opposed to speaking. Yes, because it, it does seem that when you only emphasise the moral teaching, mm-hmm. what seems to go amiss is the compassion. Mm-hmm. So that, unfortunately, I think it was painful for many no people to feel mm-hmm. themselves characterised as not compassionate. Mm-hmm. There is, as you say, a challenge there Not terribly hopeful, though, if you have a bishop in Limerick who's well able to set up a very successful synod Mm. that by all accounts down there, Mm. and yet you've other bishops saying we've no structure. I mean, he did it. It was Mm. done. It was done, and I'd be hoping, maybe hoping against expectation, that the visit of the Pope to Ireland for the World Meeting of Families, that there would be an opportunity there to repeat his message to the Synod of Bishops on the Family, where he very clearly said the church of the third millennium is a synodal church where it's inclusive, it's participative, and that there are appropriate structures and institutions put in place to make that more than a soundbite, to make it real. And he's saying that to churches all over the world, and he's saying it to the Irish church, and it, it still is a puzzlement to me as to why our bishops aren't initiating that. It's hard work, I can understand that, and it's much easier to lead from the top and to allow people to have a voice and so on requires great skill and great patience, um, great wisdom. But business as usual is just not going to do it. It's not going to cut it for for the church now. And when we're getting such an inspiring example from the top, how come that we always turn to Rome to look for guidance? Now we're getting this guidance and we don't seem to be able. It's deeply ironic, it seems to me. And he's calling for a culture of deep debate and open debate within the church. And if you look at that abortion referendum, this is how we started off. Catholic women in the church and Catholic men too, I'm sure, often felt they didn't have the space within the church to discuss this issue openly. And certainly... 
whatever about the morality of it, in terms of the legislation, people made up their own mind there. And they knew the difference between the two. And it didn't mean that they no longer believed that human life wasn't sacred. But given the real situation of so many people travelling, abortion pills coming in, they decided this was a better way to handle it. And that's a very sophisticated, complex kind of argument. Not all of us would have shared it, but we have to respect the people who did and not think that it was just a glib concession to modernity or to the crowd. I don't think it was for many people. I I know people who uh, thought about this deeply and prayed about it and and still came out with with a yes side, a yes vote. Finally, just the point you made about the Pope, uh, in many ways, even recently, he has modelled that process where he went to Chile, made a complete and utter disastrous appearance there, believed the bishops over and against the, those who had been abused, went back, was told in no uncertain terms by those close to him, you've made a mistake, Cardinal Sean O'Malley, apologised, set up a far more thorough inquiry, brought the survivors over, has met with them twice and has now received the resignation of the the Chilean bishops. That's a kind of model of learning from massive mistakes and it was a big mistake. So there is hope here if that can only be taken up by the powers that be to empower ordinary people who want to speak and who clearly have some important things to say and who need to be heard. I think that gives enormous hope. I mean, exactly as you say, I think it must have been very hurtful for people to find the Pope disagreeing and backing up the bishops in the face of the evidence that they felt they had given to the Pope. But then what a massive turnabout for him to acknowledge that he'd made a mistake, to ask for their forgiveness and to take real action. And it seems to me that's a powerful symbol of somebody who's willing to face reality, stare it in the face, admit when he's got it wrong himself. And it's it's an end to all that kind of secrecy and hiding and pretending that the church never gets it wrong and so on. And it's absolutely very refreshing and it gives energy and it gives real hope. And I think when the Pope talks about joy, as he does about the joy of love, the joy of family, the joy of the gospel and so on, it's not a cheap kind of joy. He knows the pain. He knows we get it wrong at times. And yet he's able to say, at our best, we can go beyond that. And with the help of Jesus Christ and God's love, we do go beyond that at our best. And it seems to me that offer is always still open and is is now the Irish Church is being called into a deeper conversion. And I'd love to see us gathering around that and getting leadership from our bishops. And sometimes it's not hostility from the bishops. It's more apathy or a kind of passive aggression and not quite knowing what to do. But wouldn't it be great if some of them stepped forward? Because I think it's right now for change. And if one or two could get leadership, I think the rest might fall in behind them.